0: Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Fury Tales. I'm your ripping good host, Chris Dennis. Tonight we're going to be traveling back in time to the Victorian era of England. This era is well known for bringing about many new changes, especially in the way that humanity and the world looked at true crime and crime in general. With the advent of newspapers, rising population that was growing more and more educated it brought about a really interesting time for journalism in general as they started to make light of the macabre that was coming through with murders and other sensational crimes playwrights would actually make plays based on famous crimes that they had heard about and books were starting to come out that highlighted these same true crimes with characters like Sherlock Holmes becoming the epicenter of a new type of mystery novel and mystery story. Along those lines, Sherlock Holmes has faced off against many a number of characters, both real and fictional, and tonight we're going to be diving into one such fictional character. In the summer and fall of 1888, Victorian London was the epicenter of a series of brutal slayings in the Whitechapel neighborhood. While police weren't sure how many of these were connected, or how many perpetrators that there were, the world was caught up in this whirlwind of murder and mayhem as a new character was born out of this. To add to this, many letters were sent to the police, proclaiming that they were the one responsible for everything that was happening. One such letter reads, Dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. I joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You'll soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers, just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep the letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get the chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Now, grab a warm drink for this cool night lock the doors and check the windows. Settle into your favorite
1: seat. It's time for another fairy tale. news of another attack in what the public has been calling the Atlanta Ripper Killings. In the early hours of the morning, a construction worker, making his way to work, stumbled upon the body of a 19-year-old Mary Bethesda, just off of North Avenue in the 4th Ward neighborhood of Atlanta. The scene could only be described as horrific, shaking the young man to his core. Police were quickly dispatched to the scene of the crime, along with a growing crowd of concerned citizens. Bystanders were greeted with the sight of a young African-American woman laid out on the ground in a puddle of dried blood. Most of her clothes had been torn off and laid around her lifeless body. Multiple stab wounds could be seen on the young woman's skin as well as various slashes across her torso. Police theorized that the woman was alive for most of the attack. However, she may have been unconscious due to the damage to her skull, most likely from the attacker. Locals have been questioned in regards to the attack, but no noises or suspects have been confirmed. This attack is just one of many that have been plaguing the streets of Atlanta. What police suspect to be the fourth of a string of increasingly violent ripping-style killings has haunted the neighborhood of Fourth Ward for the better part of three months now. This new attack has prompted additional requests for information, leading to the capture of the self-named Atlanta Ripper, along with a $500 reward. Multiple suspects have been named and questioned by the police, with no luck. Police have been diligently working to uncover the person responsible for such violent and depraved crimes, using all of their available tools to find any trace of the killer. So far, not much is known about the perpetrator. They attack on foot, striking in the night, preying on those who are going to or returning from work. All the victims have been women of color, leading the public and police both to suspect a racially motivated criminal. Each attack has escalated in ferocity with the first victim being strangled and stabbed multiple times, to each subsequent victim showing evidence that the killer is growing more confident in their abilities. As a trademark, the killer has been knocking his victims unconscious with a hard object, causing skull fractures, before ripping, stabbing, and shredding the victim apart with a knife or some other sharp instrument. The cuts do not seem to be done with any planning and seem to be more about causing as much... found behind the restaurant that she waited tables at. Miss Shepard was scheduled to work that day, but had not shown up to work. An hour after the restaurant was open, a busboy took the trash out and discovered Town. Eva was found in an alleyway near to the bus stop that she was reported to use in order to get to work by a passing homeless man. The man alerted a nearby officer who called in the body to the local station. Miss Robertson was examined by the coroner and found to have over sit well with the killer as he sent in a letter to the police describing details that only someone who was the crime scenes would be able to know. In the letter, he promised that there would be more killings, and he could not stop until Atlanta was cleansed, claiming to be a servant of God. The killer ended the letter by signing it, the Atlanta Ripper, bringing to mind the fresh news of and specifically 4th Ward to stay indoors as much as possible, particularly in the late evening and early morning hours of the night. Women are encouraged to travel. In-
0: Known, so the nightmare haunting the city can finally end. Welcome back to Fairy Tales. We are officially in now season three, after a pretty much two-year hiatus, where I needed to kind of let things rest and cook a little bit longer and figure out what I wanted to do with it. In the meantime, my wife and I, uh, my partner, we set up a new podcast with a similar format called Beautiful Places to Die. This is actually going to be more of an exploration of specific places that we either have visited or will plan to visit in the future. And it highlights different true crimes, legends and possibly ghost stories from the different areas as well as some cool places that uh, we feel like everybody should visit while they're going to them. So with this I wanted to go ahead and revitalize fairy Tales because along with this new podcast I realized that there was more information that we could get from these that fit the old fairy Tales format. So for a lot of these we're going to have two-parters where we're going to explore the facts and uh, facts of the case as well as the locations and beautiful places to die and then either before or after we'll explore the lore uh, and the theme and possibly some other Uh, different things like horror movies and stories that have really captured my heart and i wanted to share with you guys it's kind of like the old format of fairy tales but these will sometimes tie into the beautiful places and give you a much wider look into different kinds of crimes so if you're coming to us from Beautiful Places to Die, you already kind of know what this episode is all about, but if you're listening to this one first, then I wanted to let you know we are actually talking about Rippers today, if you couldn't tell from my introduction. Uh, the most famous one, of course, is Jack the Ripper, but I wanted to go into more of the lore and some of the other characters that came about because of, or maybe in spite of, Jack the Ripper existing. Um, We'll we'll talk about Jack in a little bit, but first off, I wanted to tell you about some of the common traits of of rippers. Uh, We discussed this a little bit yesterday, but the first thing is they're going to use a knife. They're going to utilize some kind of knife or some other sharp instrument to to mutilate their victims. Like
2: a coupling pen?
0: Like a coupling pen. Any kind of sharp object. Um, Usually they're going to use this around the throat area. but. It, the, the, the definition of a ripper is somebody who rips apart and mutilates and dismembers their, their victim. So it can go from anywhere from just slicing open their throat to attacking their torso, genitals, arms, legs, even sometimes their face.
2: Is there always a sexual element?
0: No, that's actually something that I um, I, I realize is most of their crimes are not usually sexually motivated. There are obviously exceptions to this. None of this is a going to be a one-size-fits-all definition, but I've, I've noticed some different trends. So the crimes are not usually sexually motivated. Um, a lot of them actually seem to be more vengeance-style killings. Usually something traumatic happened to the killer in their childhood or teen years where they developed a a hate specifically for women, Um, whether it was prostitutes or just women in general. It it seems like a lot of these slangs happen around for women. Uh, So as I mentioned, most but not all aim their attacks at prostitutes or the lower class. So they didn't necessarily have to be sex workers or street walkers, but usually it was a, of lower class. People who were going to and from work, who had no real way of uh, getting around the city. Most were unnoticeable. Um, usually people like who had moved in from out of town. Uh, but they, they had a wide victimology. The only thing that seemed really consistent throughout all the Rippers that we've heard about and, and researched is it's all women. Another thing that I notice is, as opposed to more methodical killers like maybe Ted Bundy or uh, Gacy, these guys are a little bit sloppier. They will strike wherever they can. Uh, They take advantage as much as they can. Nobody really knows if they watch their victims or not. Uh, It seems like a lot of them are just kind of random of the moment killings they they take the opportunity and they go ahead and strike and then they leave the body where it is they don't usually do a lot of posing no rituals anything like that so while they are serial killers by definition they're probably not as well planned as some of the other ones
2: do you find that they are planned at all do they stalk at all or is it like opportunity like the urge hits and the first opportunity that comes along she's it
0: it's, it's inconsistent from what I've uh, read, I, and you'll see uh, – I'll cover this in some of the cases. Some of them were crimes of opportunity. The person was there, and they wanted to just go ahead and do it. Some of them were planned a little bit, um, like we discussed with uh, yesterday's case. You know, We speculated on the fact of if the ATL ripper was – watching his victims and picking out, because he had a specific victimology.
2: Especially Emma Lou. He uh, had killed her mother, but not her.
0: Yes, exactly. So it's unsure. Um, I, I didn't do too much research into the confessions or anything like that, so it's hard to know. It'd definitely be worth the look, but it, it seems like it's it's about half and half. They, they want to do these things, but they also just kind of wander around and, and wait for the opportunity and then do it. Interesting. Uh, the, the the final real common trait that I've seen with these Rippers is they all love to taunt. They will all usually send letters to the police and or journalists in order to make themselves well known. Now this may be because they're all trying to live up to the hype of, of Jack the Ripper, the original Whitechapel murderer. And he is supposedly with, and we'll talk about this as well with Jack. There were a lot of hoax letters that that passed through, and we'll see this come up again and again, but at least every single case the killer has written to the to the newspapers and or the police to kind of get them urging and also sometimes to name themselves but usually the media will name it and that's again because jack the ripper so once they see something similar they automatically throw on that ripper but we also see um some of the taunting in other cases like with the Axeman in new orleans the zodiac killer so it is kind of consistent with serial killers in general it's they want to make Headlines. They want people to know what they're doing. At least with with rippers, they just don't care how it happens. So savage. A, yeah, very. Going into it, we I wanted to cover a few different more famous rippers that I I came across when I was looking up things about Jack. So the first one is Anthony Hardy. Uh, this one is known. He's known as the Camden Ripper. He was actually active. What we'll say, he was active in 2002. Uh, So this is actually a more recent killing within the last 25 years. Uh, He was convicted of killing three women and actually suspected of up to five more. Now, the real strange, not the strange thing, but the different thing about this, as opposed to what you see about other serial killers and a lot of the warning signs, is look for trauma in the childhood. You know, usually if you have a rough upbringing, abusive parents, you know, alcoholic alcoholism, stuff like that, you're going to see more chance of this happening. This wasn't the case for Hardy. Um, he had a very uneventful childhood, from all reports. Uh, in fact, it was said that he excelled academically. He was one of the best students. Uh, he actually went to college. He went to the Imperial College London, and he got an engineering degree. So he was he was well primed to to live a successful life. He had gotten married. He had kids. It, everything seemed pretty much okay for him.
2: And he, from what you can tell, he had an okay past.
0: Yeah, he, a normal he, childhood. He had a normal childhood. Nothing that we really knew of. However, in 1982, he actually was arrested for the first time. Uh, he was arrested for trying to drown his wife while they were on vacation. Uh, the charges were later dropped, though, and she ended up divorcing him in 1986. So probably good move on her part. All right? Uh, so life went downhill for Hardy after that. He was uh, diagnosed with bipolar disorder, uh, depression, and psychosis, all brought upon by drugs and alcohol. Uh, so he was arrested once again in 1998 when a prostitute accused him of raping her. But police weren't able to find any real evidence that stuck against this. And as you'll kind of see, and and I want to cover this more in depth when we talk about it in a little bit, but police don't take too kindly to prostitutes. And, And that's kind of why a lot of people, especially not just Ripper killers, but like the Green River killer, he picked out prostitutes because of the fact that they were so disregarded by by police right, and public in general
2: high-risk lifestyle high-risk victim
0: exactly so they, there's gonna be not some, to
2: blame or shame
0: absolutely not no your, your job should not
2: sex dictate work is real work it is
0: sex work is real work and we we should not they shouldn't be punished just for doing what what they want to do or sometimes have to do um so yeah we don't really know what came about that, I mean, there could have been evidence and they could have just disregarded it and they took the man's word for it, especially somebody who really only had one charge against him and that was actually out of the United States. So these you know, police officers may not have had that on his record. Um, so he was first actually convicted uh, of killing one person and that was Sally White. He did actually plead guilty to this. So with Sally, she was actually discovered in his apartment debt so the police answered to a call from hardy's neighbor claiming that her door had been vandalized she suspected that it was hardy they actually got him uh, outside of his apartment and wanted to know more about the apartment next door Um, he said he didn't know how to get in there he didn't have the key but after more questioning they found out that he did actually have a key to it they opened it up and they found sally white in there dead already so they did arrest him, of course, and along the way he pretty much told them that he thought he did it, but it was he was blackout drunk. He had no idea that he actually did do it. So because of this, they actually gave him kind of an insanity plea that he, he wasn't in control of himself, so it wasn't going to be a life sentence. He was sentenced to a psychiatric facility because he had no idea what happened.
2: They didn't test it at all? They just took his word?
0: Yeah, they, they just... Well, they knew he had a history, um, and he was diagnosed, so they just said, oh, this must have been a, a psychotic break, so he's, he's insane.
2: I wish... You could see my eyes right now
0: (laughs) so this was in january of 2002 um he actually escaped in november of 2002 so he he spent less than a year in the psychiatric facility and then kind of spent about a month on the run um going to different places so in december of 2002 a uh, random homeless person who is digging through the trash bins near his house found the dismembered body parts of bridget mclannan age 34, and Elizabeth Vallad, age 29. So with this, they did some more investigating. They found out that Hardy was living nearby in the apartment complex where the uh, trash bins were. They found blood on the floors in there that matched up to the women. And he was was found guilty of that as well. All the evidence, they didn't actually, they put him in life this time. Uh, He (laughs) went to the general population. Hey guys.
2: (laughs) I'm crazy, and you lock me up for killing someone because you know I have these crazy episodes. But, you know, it's fine. I'm probably not going to have another one. Right.
0: Absolutely. Uh, So he was sentenced to life for these, and he actually, uh, he is dead now. He died due to COVID-19 complications in November 26 of
2: 2020. So sad. I'm so. So heartbroken. Ugh.
0: Remember that date, though. This is funny. Okay, uh, so what was the date? November twenty-six. Just <laughs> November twenty-twenty. November <laughs>
2: okay.
0: twenty-twenty. Be, be a quiz on this later.
2: One one two zero two zero.
0: All right. So next up is uh, Joseph Vachet, the French Ripper. This is Vachet. Uh, so far. Uh, there, I mean, there's obviously more rippers, uh, but this is the first really outside of England. There's also the Rostov Killer, who I didn't do any research about, but he was in Russia. Um, oh, and there's actually one in Germany that we're going to cover here, and then the Atlanta Ripper. Um, so it, while it's not just an epidemic that appears to be affecting England, you know, it, a lot of these are prominent there.
2: Who was the first Ripper, like the first well-known Ripper? Was that Jack?
0: Actually, it was Jack. Um, and this one, uh, so I was wrong yesterday when we were going over the, the case notes. ATL is the third Ripper that okay. we know of historically in, in chronological. Joseph was active between 1894 and 1897, so just shortly after Jack was active in 1888.
2: And just before... Yes. The Atlanta Ripper started.
0: Yes. So we, we have still end of the century. This one this happened in France, uh, obviously given by the name of the French Ripper. He killed somewhere between eleven to twenty seven people. Nobody really knows the final numbers. Um Mostly they were young farmhands. So this one was also a little different. He didn't quite kill women. He actually killed... Not a, quite women. <laughs> he didn't kill women uh, from what it looks like, but we don't know how many he actually uh, went after. And these are just what he reported. I mean, it, nobody knows. And that's what we're going to realize with a lot of these ripping killings is they're so... They don't have one strict MO. They, they have an MO, but... As we saw with ATL, you know, one killing could be one way, another killing is going to be another. All that's really consistent is how it was done. Right. Um, so the reason I put Joseph on here, I didn't get a lot of information about his his victims. Uh, again, because they were mostly young farmhands. He, he seemed to just roam the French countryside picking off people. He grew up um, on a farm. He was a shepherd and he... Um, he came from a rough background, his, his parents were abusive and alcoholic. He left the home somewhere around 15 or 16 and then just started traveling uh, the countryside. He did meet a woman that he was uh, very interested in and she was not. He had a lot of issues, I believe he was also in the French army and uh, he was discharged from the army due to his erratic nature. With being scorned by this, this woman that he was super into and as well as you know not having a very good life, he actually attempted to commit suicide. Um, the first time was was as a result of that, of being scorned and, and broken up with, basically, in his mind. Um, he tried to kill himself for that, and he was put in a psychiatric institute and then let go shortly after. And so he did that the first time. He survived, um, and he ended up pretty maimed because of that, and then he decided to do it again. Fail, and fail. he failed again. so what a he, loser. Yeah, <laughs> such a loser. So he decided that since he was so bad at killing himself, he was just going to go ahead and kill other people. Uh, he spent a year in a mental institution in Dole Jura. And then shortly after he was released, because the doctors were like, hey, he's good. He's fully cured. We, we fixed his problems. He's going to do so great out there. He went out, and less than a month later, he started murdering his victims.
2: Now, I do want to say that I'm not coming down on people with mental illness or people who have suicidal feelings but this dude is trash and deserves to be talked about like he's trash yeah
0: um he also claimed he was sent from god so i'm not sure how god's that trash linked. yeah he, he was he was god's special that, special the trash, trash that
2: god ejected from his presence apparently
0: that that's why he came down so that, that's really it about Joseph. He's not nobody really of real significance here. He just kind of took advantage of it. Um, the newspapers named him the French Ripper because Jack the Ripper was so fresh in their minds and they knew everything about him. So next up, we also have another one uh, who kind of has a, a, a really tame back story and back life. Um, and this one was interesting. So Gordon Cummins is also known as the Blackout Ripper. He was active for one week, one week only, in February of 1942.
2: His 15 minutes of...
0: Well, yes, and so he was in England as well during 1942, and if anybody knows what happened in 1942, a couple things were going on. First, science was invented, finally, and we had science to help us with more crimes. Wait, you said 32? 1942.
2: 42, that's right. That is when we decided science was invented.
0: And then, what else was going on but a giant world war world war Two, was still happening and england had had um actually a bunch of blackouts you know self-imposed to help keep costs down and and you know hype up the war efforts and everything
2: hype up the war right. we're gonna turn out your lights so you want to fight yeah pretty much
0: <laughs> like hey you want this over go fight our war for us So Gordon, um, he also had no record of child abuse in in his past. Uh, He actually graduated from college as a chemist. And he was a recognized pilot in the Royal Air Force. So he, again, had everything going for him. He was pretty good. Uh, he was also married, no kids for him, but he was married. Um, he lived off base with his wife, but he would sometimes go on to base. So it was during this time where he was on base that he he decided to take off for leave and go see his wife. And then pretty much immediately at getting home, he was like, "Hey, I gotta go out and you know hang out with my friends." So he didn't really go home, and he wasn't really on base. Um, he actually, they found out he was leaving base with another friend of his during um, that first, that week of the blackouts. So for one week in 1942, um, he decided that he was going to go on a killing spree. Uh, we yes, actually, why not? Yeah, why not? Um, So he was actually suspected of two murders from uh, October of 1941 first. These were Maple Churchyard um, on October 13th and then yeah, Eleonora Humphreys on October 17th. Uh, So both of these uh, were just kind of—they didn't really fit the M.O. They were more strangulations um, that he broke into the homes to kill them. So they weren't really linked at first, and we're not sure if he is actually— convicted of those. But he was convicted of uh, four other victims, uh, four other murders. So we have Evelyn Hamilton, who was his first one, and this is where we started seeing kind of the the ripping style killings. Uh, She was also killed within her home, and he uh, slit her throat open and kind of abused the body, but it it didn't seem that horrible compared to what we're going to see later on. Uh, especially with Evelyn Oates, who is the second victim, she was much more mutilated and ripped apart. The, the reports on that one said that her stomach was torn open, her throat was slid open, and she had multiple stab wounds, as well as uh, skull fractures. Then we get to Margaret Lowe, who is the third victim, and the it, it was escalated from there. And keep in mind, these were all within a week, so we have, I think, basically just a day or two of rest before he's aiming for the next one.
2: Right, because, you know, it's... You need rest. Yeah. You gotta get, like, maybe a snack or get your energy up, grab a monster.
0: Yeah. Well, he was a monster, so he probably needed the monster juice to, right. to give him that. So, Margaret was, was even worse off than Oates, um, intestines spilling out of her body, multiple stab wounds all over her body. But still, this was not as bad as Doris that the fourth and final victim. This one, apparently, she was nearly decapitated and <sighs> just in horrible condition. Um, Like, police were were just dumbfounded by this. But they knew they had a Ripper killing on on their hand, and they were adamant to try to find out who it was. Thankfully, (laughs) thankfully, probably not. Margaret doesn't think it's thankful, but hey, she did help with this. Miss Margaret Haywood is the only survivor of of the Blackout Ripper. While he was in the middle of trying to take her out, he actually got interrupted by somebody uh, in the middle of it and decided to run. When he ran, he left behind some key important items like a gas mask and a haversack.
2: I don't know what a haversack is. I didn't
0: either, and I looked it up. (laughs) It is a small, single-shoulder bag that a lot of military members will use to keep their personal items in and a change of clothes. So this is actually assigned by the military, and most of the time you have your name and uh, identification number in there and it did in
2: this case.
0: So they were able to track back the bag and found out that it belonged to one Gordon can we, Cummings.
2: Can we just call it his army purse?
0: Yeah, it was his army purse. They found his army purse with all his little tampons and everything in it, and they knew exactly who it was going to be. So they went after him, and they, uh, they caught up with Cummings, and they, they found out that he had been sneaking off base, not registering when he was leaving or coming back in. His wife had no idea of his whereabouts, and his, his times off the base fit with all the timelines of the murder. So they They had their guy. So we got a couple more, and and I have a lot more information about these guys, not because I really want to glorify them, but because I I wanted to pick out some real interesting parts of these. We're going to go with the worst one yet, and that was Peter Curtin, the Dusseldorf Ripper. I am not going to go into as much detail as I found because his crimes were absolutely horrendous and gross. Curtin had a victim range of girls aged five to women no. in their fifties.
2: No. Yeah. No, don't like that. Yeah.
0: This guy, he was also nicknamed the Vampire of Dusseldorf because of his affinity for draining the blood out of the bodies of his victims and supposedly drinking it.
2: Vampires are way cooler than this loser. Yeah, this
0: this guy is horrible. Um, like I said, I'm not going to cover. There's uh, I think he's been covered on True Crime Garage and a few other podcasts if you have the stomach for it definitely go and listen um i, I did not and i read this stuff and uh, yeah so i'm going like, to only going to repeat the safe for work i guess stuff i know we're talking about murder and ripping here <laughs> but there's this, safe for work? this this stuff is taboo we're we're just going to go with that Uh, So he was active between 1929 and 1930. He is responsible for nine murders and at least 31 attacks, and that's just the ones he confessed to and we have documented. They suspect he has a lot more under his belt. So Curtin has the typical upbringing. His parents were super abusive. Um, his father, especially his father would regularly beat his, uh, his wife, uh, Curtin's mom and the children and Curtin was the oldest. So he's the one who got the biggest brunt of, of all the damage and all the abuse. So in 1888, uh, this is where we start to see Curtin kind of already going off the rails, uh, when he decided to try to drown one of his friends, just, I don't know any more information on that. He was just, they were playing and he just decided to go for it. How old were they? Curtin was born in 1883 so that puts him at seven. Or no, five. Five? He was five years old when he was already trying to off people. Five? Five years old.
2: Yes. And he's just like let me murder my little kindergarten friend.
0: Absolutely. So in 1892 when he was the young, ripe old age of nine years old, he made friends with uh, somebody in the apartment complex that his family lived in. Uh, This was a local dog catcher. So you think, okay, maybe he's got some, some older friend here, which, you know, anybody who has a job i mean he could have been 13 i I don't have a lot of information about the dog catcher uh but he made friends with this dog catcher and he would go about with him on his rounds and and help him capture up the animals and then subsequently torture and abuse and kill them just you know both of them that's he learned this from this dog catcher and that's what they did
2: fast buds yeah disney movie
0: Nine, nine years old, and, and we already have all the typical signs. Like, he is just heading straight for that serial killer.
2: You know who it reminds me of? What's that? Richard Ramirez. Oh, yes. He got an early start with, like, some gross people training him, too.
0: Yeah. So, in the autumn of 1904, uh, so now we're going to put him at about 21, I believe that. So, in the uh, autumn of 1904, Curran decided that he wanted to be a pyromaniac. And he would light barns and all kinds of buildings on fire.
2: As many people aspire to do.
0: Yeah. So he just... Now, you know, most people just want to play with fire and they really Those like
2: people.
0: some people some people really like fire hey everybody kind of likes fire yeah we always as humans we have been interested in it Ooh, we all love fire, a, fireworks yeah okay ca- <laughs> yeah it's monkey brain
2: monkey brain love fire he didn't
0: like the fire as much as the hope that he would kill homeless people and tramps that were no. sleeping in a lot of these barns that's As far as we know, he never actually um, killed anybody that way. But he did set 24 fires.
2: Go burn a candle, loser.
0: Yeah. So now we're actually going to get to his reported kills. Um, The first one's rough. It was a nine-year-old. Nine-year-old Christine Klein. um, He didn't actually go after her. He was breaking into a tavern that he knew about and trying to burglarize it. And she happened to be there, and he happened to not want her to be there. So, unfortunately, he um, he did kill her. Um, and then, like an absolute jerk, the next day he decided to show up at the tavern across the street and uh, watch all the, the police and journalists and everybody converging on the tavern to try to figure out what happened. And he just sat and watched it. So, the other murder—so, uh, I'm not going to go into all of his murders because, again, they're they're all pretty horrendous and—, and It would be redundant uh, for the most part. I only tried to go with what I found interesting, macabrely or interesting, I guess, uh, about these guys. Um, So on February 13th, 1929, uh, he went after a 45-year-old mechanic named Rudolph Scheer. So this one was not a woman, obviously, Um, and this one was way older than a lot of grippers will see because usually they aim for younger um,
2: I mean, Rudolph could be a woman.
0: Could be a woman, but it I, was definitely.
2: My great-something grandfather was a Rudolph. Not a woman, but yeah. a Rudolph. Yeah,
0: Rudolph. So he went after Rudolph, um, killed him in, in his garage. Um, you know, same MO, knocked him out, took out, mutilated him as, as much as possible. Um, so the body was discovered, obviously. And uh, guess who shows up to ask more questions about what happened? No. Curtin. He wow. just walks right up to the police and says, oh, I heard about this on the phone from a friend that's decided to come over and check it out.
2: Phones were invented?
0: Apparently. That's that's what I I got here. <laughs> so, I think it was invented in 1901 by Maria Bell.
2: I, I have no concept of when people like got phones and started chatting on them. Just this thing that it's turned into <laughs>
0: 1876 so wow, yes phones been, phones were around for a while by we've that been
2: point chatting it up for a good amount of time and again
0: this was 1929 so we're, we're well into the 20th oh, century okay um i
2: thought we were still earlier i'm sorry no, we're, My we're, in, we're in
0: 1929 he's 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 an adult he's doing all this stuff um So he he walks right up to the cops and he asks them questions about the case and everything going on. And they just let him walk away.
2: Just like, hey, bros, what's... I mean, if you're a cop and this dude's like, what happened? He's not like, hey, turn her over and check out what I did on the other side.
0: I think he wanted to.
2: Uh, Yeah, but I'm saying maybe, you know, a lot of people were coming up to the cops curious at the time. So it may not have been that weird. Yeah.
0: So uh, basically, it all ramped up. His final attack, was, or his final fatal attack, was against Gertrude Alberman. Throughout the whole, uh, this was in 1929 as well. So he finished up his fatal killings. But throughout all of 1930, he is suspected of, hit, of attacking at least 30 people with a hammer. He did not kill anybody else after that, but he 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 did damage.
2: He just ran around with a hammer like a loon, just hitting yeah. people.
0: Like the Boston Strangler. Oh wait, no, that was a knife. Wait. That may not have been nice The
2: strangler used a knife? Yes. Strangler
0: used a knife. We're cutting this out. <laughs> All
2: right.
0: So finally, uh, we're going to talk about Peter Sutcliffe, who I have labeled Jack the Ripper version 2.0. Because Peter here, uh, he is actually the Yorkshire Ripper. He had the most information here, and I think it's because of his infamy. Um, he, he followed a similar kind of MO to Jack. It was actually very, very similar from, from what I read, and you'll see that here soon uh, with that. So do, Peter was acted between 1969 and 1980, so pretty much all of the 70s. He was running around Yorkshire doing a whole bunch of bad stuff. He's responsible for 13 murders and 11 attacks.
2: Disco and murder Yes. in the
0: 1970s. So Sutcliffe started off with voyeurism uh he would actually spy on prostitutes and their clients and he was very interested in in what they were doing he would do this as a as a young boy
2: right as all little boys do
0: hey whatever get some weird stuff and this was the 60s and 70s so i mean that was a whole different time period So he started off with this. He had pretty much a rough childhood. I couldn't find any information if he was abused per se, um, but he didn't do too well academically. He didn't excel in school. Most people said he was just a lackluster student. And in fact, he dropped out at 15 and did a whole bunch of stints. Two of those actually in the 60s, uh, the early 60s, he spent as a grave digger. So he grew very comfortable with bodies and disposal and and everything there from a very early age.
2: That's... Creepy.
0: So the reason I bring this up is because, A, he had so many kills and so many attacks. I know Peter Curtin had much more. um, He has more than Jack. But they they kind of fit in because, A, he aimed after mostly prostitutes. And this is where we get into a little bit of how the police and how the public and everybody saw this. Because we'll, we'll see their care for all of this. So his first four victims actually lived. So he was starting to get his bearings. He would attack them from behind, knocking them out, and then trying to slash them. But the first four were able—he was interrupted pretty much every single time. Like, he would go for it, knock them out, and then somebody would pop up around it. So he would leave them there. Um, The first one actually reported his car to the police. And, like, they stopped him and questioned him and then went ahead and let him go.
2: As happens with so many serial yeah. killers that you will see.
0: Oh, this is this is a theme that ah. Mr. Sutcliffe got lucky on. Uh, so the other two were interrupted. Like I said, he left the survivors alive, but they were all pretty traumatized. A lot of them had permanent injuries. Uh, many of them were maimed. Um, usually they couldn't. They didn't have any function on their limbs. Um, They had brain damage from taking hits to the skull. Uh, None of them, from what I report, could lead a normal life. So he he all but killed them and just left them alive. Uh, The MO he had, he took a hammer to their skull, and then he would stab or slash at their stomach or lower back. He he typically went for there instead of the, the typical throat. So his first real murder victim was Wilma McCann. So this brought in an extensive inquiry. They brought in 150 officers from the West Yorkshire Police, and they had conducted 11,000 interviews to try to find the culprit. Guess who was in one of those interviews?
2: Well, of course. Right. I mean, obviously, because even if he wasn't, he would have made sure that he was. He had to know what they were asking.
0: Yep. Yep so we didn't have, uh, so nothing happened out of this one obviously and again this was a prostitute so you know despite the fact that they brought in so many officers we really don't know how much real investigation they did or if they just were mapping out the whole entire area so next up was Irene Richardson. Now, with her, there were tire tracks that were left near the victim's bodies. So from what, we under, from what I understand, he actually drove to a lot of his victims. He wasn't a, a walking, stalking person. He drove up and did something. Now, that could be speculation that maybe he, because he was aiming for prostitutes, he could have picked these women up and drove them to some place and then killed them and then drove off. Uh, they weren't able to find any matches to the tires at this point. But this is now two times that we have a vehicle associated with Sutcliffe. So they should have this on file, that we kind of know what kind of vehicle this is. But again, this was the 70s, so who knows how much actual forensic science we were doing at the time.
2: Did they know that it was his car, though? I mean, like, I know that they knew of a car, but
0: yeah, I had mean, they
2: connected the dots and were looking for his car... Or just in general?
0: No, they just were looking for a vehicle that fit those tire tracks. Okay. Um, I, I don't have the notes on what his what vehicle he was driving at the time, so it could have been a, a pretty typical model for right. the time.
2: Right, right. It's not like he had, like, square tires or something weird.
0: So uh, the next victim I want to talk about is a, a younger one, a 16-year-old Jane McDonald. Um, so this was the first victim to not be involved in prostitution. And she was nicknamed by the police and journalists as the innocent victim because she wasn't a prostitute. That's so gross. It is gross. Uh, it, it just really showed how they viewed all the all those victims. You know, they they. Put her up on this pedestal, and this is what brought the case really to the, the, to the limelight at this point because he had killed what everybody viewed as, oh, she was just a, a young, innocent girl. Now we can't have any of these women, you know, he, he can't keep doing this because he might attack another innocent woman and not, you know, the prostitutes that he's already been attacking. Mm. Um, then we have Maureen Long. Uh, she was a survivor, But she actually had to stay in the hospital for about nine weeks because he left her out in the cold and she developed hypothermia. Um, Poor girl. Yeah, that was a pretty rough one. I I don't know the extent of the damage, but obviously nine weeks for hypothermia is a very long time. Uh, But she did survive, thankfully. Uh, There were witnesses to this as well that identified a car uh, seen driving away from the scene. They got the car wrong. Oh, so wow. police spent hours and hours and hours looking for the wrong vehicle. So another, unfortunately, another lucky break for Sutcliffe there.
2: Right, and, you know, it's it's a shame because, you know, these witnesses want to help. Yeah. And they think they're doing the right thing, but it sent them down the wrong road.
0: Yeah, so that was, that was a lot of wasted of time. And this is when the public and the journalists really started to harp in on the police and start accusing them of not doing their jobs. Because this is now, like, it, it, this is... I think, the sixth murder that he he got away with. And he they, they've gotten so close. They've been able to see literally him, and they still can't get to him. So on October 1st, 1977, Sutcliffe murders Gene Jordan, and he leaves a five-pound note at the crime scene. He, uh leaves goes to a family party at his new house to celebrate his new house and then after the party he goes back to where he dumped the body and tries to find the the bill he can't find it now the reason he's so worried about this is because it it recently uh, i tried to get more information on this but i couldn't find any consistent information when they were starting to do this but they were able to track the currency at this time and he knew that he knew that they would be able to determine that at some point, he got this this five-pound dollar five, bill, five pound note. Um,
2: how? That's so—I know you said you don't know, but, like, how? Serial numbers.
0: <laughs> I mean, it, it's what it is. So police found the body. Uh, they found the five-pound note in a little hidden compartment on Gene uh, Jordan's bag, and they were able to trace it, and they traced it to uh, branches of the Midland Bank. So they didn't know exactly which branch, but they knew it came from Midland Bank, and they knew of some possible branches. So that allowed them to narrow their suspects to just a mere 8,000 employees that could have received that in one of their paychecks. Police interviewed 5,000 of them, including Sutcliffe.
2: Of course. Yeah,
0: of course they did. Still didn't get him. December fourteenth, 1977, Sutcliffe attacked Marilyn Moore, not to be confused with Marilyn Monroe, this was Marilyn Moore, who is another prostitute from the Leeds area. She did survive as well. Yeah, and she Marilyn. provided yeah, she provided police with a description of her attacker. So now they actually have a composite to go on. Tire tracks were found at the scene, match those from an earlier attack. They're getting closer. They're able to do this. So they, uh, they got a photo bit, which is basically a composite. They were able to get a, a drawing of him and of the, the car and it bore a strong resemblance to Sutcliffe who had they been interviewing time and time before They're
2: good at this point
0: and then you know they also got some uh different descriptions from the other survivors that they had at the time because there were more in between these murders he would attack people either get interrupted or not able to finish the job so it was m- mixed in between people he was able to to, to kill and people he left alive Uh, And then Moore also provided a very good description of Sutcliffe's car, uh, which had been seen in red light district areas. So prowling around for prostitutes, looking for them. Guess who was interviewed?
1: (laughs) Sutcliffe.
0: Again. Still nothing. They had a description, they had his car, and they still couldn't do anything about it.
2: Like... You would think that like after the first time, like the second time they call him in, he would just be like sweating bullets. Yeah.
0: So on September. Well, you're waiting. Then
2: then by the third time, I think he'd be like, oh, they're just going to keep doing this. Just wait for this. They have no idea. Just
0: wait for this douchebag. You're you're going to get into it. September 1st, 1979. Sutcliffe murders 20 year old college student Barbara Leach. This was his second. One of only two non-prostitute victims so once again an uproar and we got to protect the innocent women and now he's going after college girls in later interviews with police he was actually confirmed to say but at this point i had the urge to kill any woman the urge inside me to kill girls was now practically uncontrollable now we're up to 1980 in april 1980 sutcliffe was arrested for drunk driving while awaiting trial so he's caught he's been interviewed multiple times police know his car had been at the scene he's literally going to be on trial for something else what do you think you would do if if you were involved in all this and you're like wait a minute they're really close to me and i may go to jail for something what would you do confess guess what he did
2: Confess. He
0: killed two more women. No. While he was waiting for this trial. Like, he was just ballsy. He didn't care. He was just going to keep doing it. So he killed 47-year-old Margaret Walls on the night of August 20th, 1980, and 20-year-old Jacqueline Hill, another student at Leeds University. So I was wrong. Three non-prostitutes. Uh, this was on the night of November 17th, 1980. He also attacked three other women who survived... Apiata Bandara in Leeds on September 24th, Maureen Leah, known as Mo, and an art student uh, who was attacked in the grounds of Leeds University on October 25th, and his last one before he was convicted, 16-year-old Teresa Sykes, attacked in Huddersfield on the night of November 5th. So at this point, they had him almost in a vice grip, they almost had everything they needed for them, and they finally got their break. So he was given up by an accomplice in the original 1969 attack against one of the the first victims, the one who got his tire tracks at the scene, or the one who identified the car. What do you mean by giving up? Um, His accomplice, Trevor Birdsall, who was the getaway driver, uh, so he had a partner on this, went ahead to the police and told him, hey, I know who's been doing all this, and it's Sutcliffe. Wow. So based on finally this witness testimony, they were able to get him um, and they went ahead and put him in prison for life uh, under 13 counts of murder and 11 attacks.
2: Okay, but you have a partner. Are we really just going to think he drove you around so you could do all this and he had no other participation?
0: Yeah, I didn't dive too much into Trevor at, at all. I think it would be worth to look into on his involvement I mean, like with more of what if it was
2: really Trevor?
0: It could have been but Sutcliffe admitted it and he, he went in, he, he told in detail a lot of these cases and a lot of information on it. So we definitely know it was Sutcliffe at least, but you know, it, it really feels like we shouldn't have gotten to this. The police were under fire, absolutely under fire. Poli- public was all over them. Um, many of the family sued the police for mishandling the case. Um, But it it was the attitude of the time, and it was the attitude that Jack was able to get away with, and what a lot of these other rippers were getting away able to get away with, is the fact that these were so these women were viewed as lower class. I know with the ATL Ripper, they were literally referred to as animals in many of the newspapers and, and police reports, but in here. These women were one step above animals to them. They were pretty much allowed to do this. They were innocent women. So actually, and and I'm not just speculating here. I'm not just saying, oh, well, maybe it was this. No, there's a direct quote from Senior Detective Jim Hobson, and he says, The suspect has made it clear that he hates prostitutes. Many people do. We, as a police force, will continue to arrest prostitutes. But the Ripper is now killing innocent girls. That indicates your mental state and that are, you are in urgent need of medical attention. You have made your point. Give yourself up before another innocent woman dies. They did not care until it was non prostitutes. And even then, they didn't care that he was killing off prostitutes. It was just making their job harder because they couldn't arrest them.
2: Just more work, more yeah, paperwork. More
0: paperwork. It could have been just an easy arrest and said, no, now we have to clean up a body. So they, they had a horrible attitude for this. And I think a lot of that was laziness on their part. You know, they had Sutcliffe in their hands multiple times. And he walked out of that police station each and every time.
2: It's embarrassing.
0: And it, it took another man to rat him out before they took it seriously. It's disgusting. So he, uh, he died uh, in prison due to diabetes complications on November 13th, 2020. So two November 2020 deaths, right? right back to back. 11,
2: 11, Eleven, eleven, two zero, two zero. I remembered it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so those are the uh, the real killers that I wanted to go ahead and get go over. Um, again, I definitely recommend you check out the uh, the beautiful places to die episode that we just did yesterday. Um, this goes over the Atlanta Ripper, who uh, followed a lot of the same similarities as as these guys.
2: Pretty in depth. As well, um, We get into some more of the gruesome details that were skipped over here.
0: Yeah, they definitely were. Um, but they, they all fit the same kind of MO. And the Atlanta Ripper, I'm, I'm actually surprised, has not come up on a lot of lists. Uh, but I think it's because of the different victimology. And, and it kind of got whitewashed. <laughs> I'll call it that.
2: That's exactly it, what happened. It, it was whitewashed in the interest of building a city and attracting more businesses and tourists. Yeah,
0: but I, I would definitely say if you want to go with the three most notorious rippers, you're going to be looking at at Jack the Ripper, obviously, because he started all of this, um, and not just because him doing it, because of the times, so and we're about to discuss that. But Jack is definitely the 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 first one. Um, ATL, I would put the Atlanta Ripper as a very notorious killer. He he took out what what was it, 25 women? i believe believed as
2: as much as 25. Um, I didn't go over the whole 25, but I went over quite an extensive list of who I believe were included.
0: Yeah. And then I would say that uh, Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper, is is definitely up there in notoriety. He was treated as a Jack the Ripper 2.0. I didn't even go into the fact of the hoax letters. Uh, At one of the crime scenes, there was a tape left behind where they claimed they were the new Jack, um, and that they were going to keep killing people. Um, it actually also distracted the police because they were sent off into a whole different area. Uh, Westshire uh, is where they went to because people heard the tape and heard the accent and they determined, oh, this must be somebody from Westshire. So they spent man hours going there, hunting down people, and then found out that it was a hoax. There were also letters sent in. Many of them were hoax, but a lot of them wanted to be called Jack the Ripper.
2: Right, and I understand that when you read achieved that level of notoriety as Jack did and made the word Ripper mean what it did. It didn't mean a murderer before Jack, that a lot of people want to copycat that. And as we saw with the Atlanta Ripper, we even saw people capitalizing on it to kill just one off who they love, and they did it in the style of the Ripper, or, uh, sorry, who they hate, not who they love. love <laughs> and Kill your loved ones. Um, it was his wife, though. Um, but he used it to cover up. And he wasn't, you know, a ripper or a serial killer at all. He just killed his wife and made it fall in with the... The victim count
0: yeah so Sutcliffe he definitely has a lot of mirrors to to Jack in the Whitechapel murders uh, and with going after prostitutes using this to his advantage as kind of a protective shield um, he was not as high class as a lot of the others and not as well educated but he didn't need that education he didn't need to be smart because he knew they're not going to pay attention to me and that's exactly what happened he was able to, to last for a decade doing this just based on the fact that nobody cared so now we're going to go into Jack the Ripper. Now I want to preface this with the the initial fact of nobody actually knows if Jack was real, and that's why I'm including this on fairy tales. I know we talked about a lot of real life killers here, and we do know that the Whitechapel murders were really a thing. But as you're going to see, or if you research this, you'll find out that nobody really knows how many responsible, how many murders Jack the Ripper is officially. Uh, attributed to and even if he killed any of them all 11 of these murders could have been just random just due to the times and the the type of people that they were going after Um, they all could have been Jack we don't know So, what we have is what we do know is that we're considering that there are five canonical murders out of the 11 Whitechapel murders. A couple more sometimes get attributed to him, but we definitely know that there are five that we can call kind of the same killer.
2: Okay. The canonical
0: five Rippers are Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. And that's all I'm really going to go into there. Um, we know the style. We know the MO. He would attack them in the streets. He would uh, mutilate their bodies and leave them out. Um, a lot of people suspect that he had visited the crime scenes again to learn about them, but nobody really knows. Uh, witness testimonies have him ranging anywhere from a tall dark—a ma- uh, man with dark hair, sometimes wearing a cloak or carrying a staff. but. This is all—I'm going to bring this in because this is all speculation. A lot of this came about later on, and especially due to the works of Robert Louis Stevenson when he wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So people started attributing these kind of monsters hiding in plain sight thing, and so a lot of people uh, list—and with the precision that Jack— uh, showed during the Whitechapel murders, a lot of people suspected that he had to be a doctor, which means he had to be well-educated, which means he had to be aristocratic, and he was just going to prey on the lower class. But we don't know, because we don't know who Jack is. We don't know his background. We don't know his history. So... With bringing up Jack, I want to bring us back into the legend part of it. So the reason that this is so significant is because this isn't just, oh, years later we start having a legend. Jack was a legend early, early on. When people list a lot of his murders, they've listed one known as Fairy Fay. This was the first fictional murder linked to Jack the Ripper. Reportedly, this was a woman who was found on December 26th, 1887 so about a year before the his reign in the Whitechapel murders she was allegedly found with a stake thrust into her abdomen outside of a church Uh, but nobody was ever to, to find out any more information in fact nobody actually had ever heard of a body being found during Christmas time in that area of town
2: can I pose a theory yeah she was a vampire
0: it could have. She could have been.
2: Staked through the heart at a church. Never been heard of. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We're going to hear with that. She was a vampire. Vampire. She burned up into dust. So, yeah. So, nobody really knows if Fairy Fay was real, but this is the level of, of journalism that was happening at the time. Um, the reason why this happened is, as I mentioned in the intro, the Victorian era of London, um, and actually Victorian era, I guess, all throughout the world resulted in newspapers being more widespread. And because of some uh, information acts that had come out and a bunch of laws, children were going to school and receiving education. What? Up until like 12. But Whoa. children between five and 12 were, were getting education. So the population was becoming more and more literate more and more educated. And newspapers were being printed cheaper and cheaper. So people were getting the news. Pretty much the day after. This wasn't just a thing only rich, educated people could do. Everybody could read the news now. So journalists were jumping on this fact during the Victorian era. Uh, The Legend of Jack the Ripper was the first worldwide serial killer available to the public. We had had serial killers before, but this is the first one that made headlines in other countries. People in the U.S. knew Jack the Ripper. Um, This was, due, as I mentioned, due to the growing literacy rate and accessibility in newspapers. People all over the world were hearing about the growing legend of Jack. Now, this was also helped along because journalists were making up whatever facts they could come up with because the police weren't sharing. They were trying to keep a lot of things close to their chest. We see this now. You listen to any episode of any true crime podcast and we get into one where the police and journalists are at odds because, well, we don't have enough information because they're holding back this, but if they released more information, we could help find this person. But they have to keep things close to their chest because if they find it, they need something that not everybody in the public knew about the case or the crime scene. So that's what we're seeing here, but journalists didn't care about that. So they're like, okay, we're just gonna go ahead and make up our own facts about this. Some of them were the fact that, Jack must have been a Jewish person because Jewish people were evil at the time due to a lot of heavy xenophobia. Wow. Yeah, and the fact that some of the bodies were found with uh, near-Jewish-owned businesses and there was some graffiti found near one of them that they speculated that Jack did after performing the murder. So he must have been Jewish, and thus if he was Jewish, he was a bad person. Not quite racism, but just as bad. I'm
2: so sorry. I'm so sorry. My eyes just rolled Behind my brain. Yeah.
0: So, this caused a lot of confusion. Um, and then, obviously, the fact that people argued over if the crimes were even committed. We didn't have a lot of information. Science hadn't been invented at this time, not for 1942 yet. So, forensics were, were still a little rough back then. So, th- this brought a lot of speculation and a lot of legend and a lot of what ifs and, and who could this be. And, you know, Jack the Ripper became a household name, not necessarily a person. You know, it it grew. Yeah, he became the boogeyman. Literally the boogeyman. You know, it was stories were told. Don't go out at night because Jack will get you.
2: We um, should probably go ahead and apologize to anyone who can hear the cat because we're not editing that out.
0: (laughs) No. So police at the time were unable to nail down how many murders were the result of one perpetrator, if any of them were. Some officials believe that only two or three were connected to Jack. Others claim up to seven. Still, others believe there was never a Jack the Ripper at all, and all the crimes were unconnected, just caused by a broken class system and a lack of care to prostitutes and working class individuals, a trend we will see for over 100 years. The police still treat, especially lower class people and working class and people of color with a lot of disdain. You know, if they don't respect your job or position in in society, they're going to treat you like that. Your
2: minority status. Yeah.
0: You know, and, and you can see it all the way up to today. You know, one little white girl goes missing and now the whole world blows up. 20,000 black girls go missing, you know, due to, to human trafficking and nobody bats an eye. You know, it, it's, it's we're, we're just seeing it. This is nothing new. It's just a different aim of, of lower class back then. So the name Jack, as I mentioned, was very commonplace. England had a previous, had a previous urban legend named Springhill Jack. Um, and so, with, and then, and then in addition to all this, there were numerous hoax letters and reports that came in. I think they said somewhere up to about 50,000 different letters were sent in at any one point of everybody claiming they were Jack. Everybody wanted to take the credit. There were only four letters that police truly believe came from the Jack the Ripper, again, if there was one. Uh, One of them was the boss letter, as I read. Another was a postcard that was sent to the police. Um, And the reason that they believe that these may have been the actual killer is because they mentioned things that happened in the crime. In the boss letter, Jack mentions that the next woman he's going to take out, he's going to take her ear and send it to police. The next woman that was murdered did have her ear missing, but he never sent it to the police.
2: But everyone knew he said that?
0: At that point, no. The, the letter had been published after the murder okay. had already happened.
2: So only a select handful of people yeah. knew about the ear thing.
0: Yeah. So, so there was definitely some connection to it, and that's how they narrowed down these four out of the 50,000-some the letters. Uh, so basically, we're, we're going to never truly know if Jack the Ripper was just a collective name to summarize the unknown killers of Whitechapel or one individual who brought hell to Victorian England. And again, as I mentioned, murder was starting to become way more sensationalized in Victorian era England. And this is because of the rise of crime noirs like Sherlock Holmes, as well as dark comedy plays which all reenacted famous crimes as they would happen. And these would be performed by puppets and all kinds of, of figures out on the streets. Victorian Englands were obsessed with with murder. This is not a recent thing with the Advent of True Crime podcast. We have been obsessed with this for at least 150 years, if not longer.
2: I think that's actually something that we talked about a little bit um, on Beautiful Places to Die when we were talking about how people were so sensationalized with looking at the corpse of Edgar Allan Poe.
0: Yeah, I mean, and this was pre date. well, it was at the... There's actually a really good book that I, I want to read about, but it, it goes into all this detail on how Victorian England or how Victorians invented true crime. The, 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 the genre that we know it today came from the 1800s and how everybody wanted to, to, to see murder. They wanted to, yeah. Jack the Ripper has been fictionalized multiple times over the last 150 years, which also helps to lead to the legend of Jack the Ripper, because now we have all these theories that were formed during the cases all coming into story form and plays and movies and all kinds of stuff. So now we just, we don't know who Jack is. Jack is a mythical figure. Um, So most of the offerings stem from a small number of themes. So we have Jack as the well-mannered gentleman killer who would just walk around in a top hat and coat and a cane and pick a woman and kill her. You know, kind of like Dracula. Bram Stoker's Dracula kind of popularized that.
2: Right. I mean, you need the costume.
0: Yeah. So the other second type was Jack was a doctor or some kind of high-class... Illuminati type, and he was just picked out. They, he was a group of elites that would just go out and kill lower class women and people they didn't like, and they could because they were rich and nobody cared about them. Ha 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 Is that
2: funny. is that kind of like that that secret murder club that uh, the son of Sam was in?
0: Yeah, I think it it all kind of stems from same that. Same club. Just, same club. It's the same club. It's it's the same Illuminati that apparently meets at Bohemian Grove and picks out people that they don't like and other people they do like and, and make the world work.
2: Illuminati, so. maybe douche and not a, not a, okay, okay. We're, gonna, we're gonna jump on
0: that one. <laughs> um so another theme demon. is Jack is just reincarnated evil. He is an every man that gets possessed by some kind of vengeful, evil, murderous spirit and or a weapon of some kind.
2: Jack the demon.
0: Um, Jack the demon um, he's popped up as that in a lot of things. And then Jack is a crazed Dr. Jekyll or and Mr. Hyde type of monster. Just a normal everyday person during the day and then at night they become this, this whole other being. Do you know about the story? So he was a scientist who was messing around with things and he ended up creating this alter ego through science and magic and the alter ego would go through hunt the streets of london for women to murder
2: london specifically yes
0: london specifically
2: that makes actually maybe
0: it was france who
2: knows that makes the whole thing from season four of you a lot more on the nose with where his things were hidden. Oh,
0: man. I I've never even, read
2: the book,
0: though. I never even... <laughs> uh, yeah, I read the book once. I read, a, uh, obviously, a bunch of offshoots, and then uh, his character was in Van Helsing. Um, that was actually in, in France where he caught up with him, but he had chased him there from London. So...
2: I mean, yeah.
0: Okay. Joe's a ripper. <laughs> we'll talk about that one. There's going to be a whole episode about Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. That That's, that's worthy of its own.
2: I think the only... This is... Just a side note before I forget. The only time I saw anything Jekyll and Hyde was um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen.
0: Ah, yeah. That was a good one, too. Okay. So the first short story that came out about Jack the Ripper was called The Lodger by Marie Belloc Lowndes. It was published in 1911 and novelized in 1913 and then adapted into a film by one Alfred Hitchcock in 1927. This had four other film adaptations. So this was the 2009 offering with Shane West and Alfred Molina. Uh. Yeah, so we, we did watch this one. Uh. Uh, I hadn't watched the original, <laughs> and I hadn't read the short story, so this was the only one. Uh, I hadn't even seen From Hell, but From Hell, we'll talk about that one a little. From Hell is different. It's a whole different lore about I this one. I have seen that one. So this was the, um, basically the lodger is the portrayal of... Jack the Ripper as kind of a mild manner everyman. He he's handsome, he's well spoken, seems to be educated. Um, the story is that this couple is renting out their a, a spare room or a spare house a guest in, in house. this one, a guest house, and Jack shows up and then murders start happening. And they you know in in this one specifically, two murders had happened years before, and then he was coming back to do the in this one six canonical murders that Jack the Ripper performed so and they actually brought up jack the ripper it was very directed on the nose that this was a copycat 100 years later um but it's supposed to be a psychological thriller where we're not sure if in this movie it was malcolm who who was jack reincarnated we weren't supposed to be sure if he was real or not and in the end well that's a spoiler so (laughs) there is a spoiler about this one about who is actually arrested for the crimes?
2: It came out fourteen years ago, so I think it's okay to spoil it.
0: Okay, no, we're gonna let you go watch The Lodger.
2: No, don't go don't. watch
0: The Lodger. Don't. Okay, so in the story, I love you guys,
2: um, don't do it. I love it's, you.
0: It's it's the woman uh, who rents out the home. Uh, the woman part of the couple, landlady, the landlady. There's there's some red herring thrown that it could it be her husband. Uh, she's accused of having an affair with Malcolm, the the lodger, and. Um, but the husband's like, there's nobody there. And it, it, it's just, it's weird. It it probably worked really well when Hitchcock did it. And for that audience in 1927, I think it was just, I agree with you in, our, in what you said the other day. It's it's dated. For 2009, it's a dated horror movie. Like the styling. It's like the 90s. Well, not even that. It's just the the storytelling and the pacing is they wanted it to make, they wanted it to seem like an old school film noir. And it just did not. No. The time period they set it in. So that was the 09 movie. Um, I do still want to check out at least From Hell and a couple of the other stuff. And I do want to check out the Hitchcock version. Even though I know kind of what it is, I want to see how he did it. So in 1926, Leonard Matters proposed in a magazine article that the Ripper was an eminent doctor whose son had died from syphilis caught from a prostitute. According to matters, the doctor, given the pseudonym Dr. Stanley, committed the murders in revenge and then fled to Argentina. You want to go there.
2: I do want to go there, but mostly because I want to go to Antarctica, and I think that it's just good planning to do both in one trip. Yeah. Good planning.
0: He expanded his ideas into a book, The Mystery of Jack the Ripper, in 1929, The book was a huge success, and it was marketed as a serious study of Jack the Ripper. People took it very serious that this was facts. Everything that he put in there was facts. But it didn't. It contained many, many obvious factual errors, and the documents that supposedly used as references were never found. He just had no sources. He was just making up all this stuff, and everybody was like, hey, this sounds like it could work. Um, It did inspire other works, such as the theater play Murder Most Foul and the film Jack the Ripper. Jonathan Goodman's 1984 book, Who He?, is also written, as if it's a factual study. Uh, But the suspect described Peter J. Harpick is an invention whose name is an anagram of Jack the Ripper.
2: Plus, who he is fun to say. Who
0: he? Who Who he? he? (laughs) Who he do? Who he? Dr. Who he? Guess what? Dr. Who has met Jack the Ripper. Oh, wow. I have in my notes that they faced off, but I went back and reread the, the, the snippet about the book. Uh, so in the book Matrix, released in 1998, written by Mike Tucker and Robert Perry, Doctor Who uh, – or sorry, The Doctor. Uh, this is the seventh incarnation of the Doctor, actually, so okay. the, the one from the 80s. Uh, he goes and he visits a whole bunch of different time periods and uh, meets up with some historical figures from London, one of which is Jack the Ripper. Right. But it's really, uh, the Veil vale Yard is the enemy of the whole thing, who I believe number 11 fought off against. Uh, I'll have to fact check all that. I wasn't here to do a Doctor Who study. That's a whole different episode. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I thought that was interesting. It is That he does pop up in, in against uh, the Doctor. So we're a good friend uh so as i mentioned from hell from 2001 uh it was a movie uh, the movie came out in 01 it starred johnny depp it was adapted from a graphic novel and this one followed a much different theory where uh they actually dove into jack having masonic connections the, the masonic temple aka back into the illuminati
2: right i mean you know there's all that evil there
0: and then the Ripper being a physician. Uh, so this this kind of helped out some of those other studies. And this painted Jack as a, a well-to-do, high-class doctor who was methodically killing off his victims. Uh, have not seen that one yet, but I knew it was pretty big when it came yeah, out. Yeah, I
2: saw it when it came out. Yeah.
0: Um, then I think, in the... I,
2: I think I remember getting a little spooked by it.
0: Okay. that might be, It would be interesting to go back and... I, I do want to watch it. I, I think we will soon. Then, through the 70s and 80s, Jack had a rebirth. This time, uh, there were a bunch of tenuous links to the Ripper case introduced in films purely for commercial reasons. People were trying to sell, 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 sell sell horror and killing. But, you know, 70s and 80s. We have Toe Pooper and Wes Craven and and all these people making slasher movies. What better than one of the OG slashers, Jack the Ripper? Uh, But basically, they were just sex movies they they were they were porn they were gore porn
2: wow yeah
0: it they they were very very I didn't even write all the notes, but a lot of them were just heavily criticized, that they had no plot and they were just moving ahead to get to one gory scene to the next. Sex and
2: violence. Yeah, sex and, sex and,
0: violence. and violence from the 70s and 80s. So they had uh, horror movies Blade of the Ripper in 1970, The Ripper of Notre Dame in 1981, and The New York Ripper in 1982, which basically had nothing to do with the killings, the Whitechapel murders. They just used the name Jack the Ripper. They They sold it. Why uh, not? so just a couple more movies um i didn't find him in much more literature he has a whole bunch of of original literature um that i definitely recommend everybody you know if you're into it we can you can check out uh most of these were made like from hell was adapted from an earlier play and story that came from the early 1900s people were writing about jack since he happened
2: well, i mean, I mean... It
0: fictionalized from the beginning
2: monsters have always fascinated us and you say that this monster may not be anything supernatural but just a madman who was turned into a monster of course we're going to be fascinated and want to explore it.
0: So the other two I wanted to mention here real quick. Uh, one wasn't really that significant, but I, I noticed who was in it. This was Ripper in 2001. So this is another note kind of just to watch myself. This is about a reincarnated Jack the Ripper. Typical slasher film coming hot off the heels of Scream and the, the slasher revitalization of 2000. Um, and this one had A.J. Cook from Final Destination 2 and Criminal Minds.
2: Oh, JJ from Criminal Minds. Yeah,
0: so I re- that was just a personal note just because I recognized the cast. She's so cute. Yeah, and then another recognizable, if you liked action movies from the 80s, Dolph Lundgren starred in one called Jill the Ripper where Jill. it reversed it and put a woman as Jack the Ripper and had male victims.
2: That makes me think of that Adam Sandler jack and jill movie oh <laughs> i mean totally not the oh. same but that's what I, there's yeah. where my brain went
0: <laughs> so as i mentioned it, there's a lot more movies a lot more literature out there full of jack and more and more people are going to be coming up with stuff he has copycats and offshoots is his legacy unfortunately ex- inspired real killers that's how influential this this figure was to history or is to history. Um, and that's the point of, of this podcast. And that's why I'm glad I could cover this on the rebirth of this, because it does show how smoothly those lines blend. What could have been very, very real and was very, very real. The Whitechapel murders were real and they did happen. We just don't know who committed any of them.
2: Well, that's like the Atlanta, ripper slayings they did happen 25 women did lose their lives but was it all one person
0: yeah and then just what fell out from that and and people like i brought up earlier people like to accuse of this recent generation millennials and and gen z's as we're just macabre we're obsessed with crime and death and, and all this this is nothing new people have been doing this since longer than this and as you'll see you know because i've covered other stories like beauty and the beast and bluebeard and stuff that came from the 1700s and 1600s but this was real crime this was real crime that became fictionalized and legendary and we're still doing it to this day where the point of everything is inspired on a true story and every move or and every true crime story is inspired by a movie
2: right it's like is is art imitating life or is life imitating art
0: so we're going to bring that. We bring this back. Um, I'm excited to keep doing fairy tales with this. Uh, we have co- really, some really good episodes coming up. I am going to reboot some of the older episodes as well. Uh, now that I've learned more about what I want to do and gotten better with research. Uh, we're going to be recovering Slender Man, The Five Nights at Freddy's cast. Thought about actually doing Bluebeard he- here as well. Uh, but we may just do Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, but we do have some coming up. Stay tuned for us. Uh, for me here, I'm going to go ahead and revitalize the instagram and i think that's all i have the instagram and website we are going to keep some of these connected to beautiful places to die if you haven't heard the connecting episode to this one yet we do have that one launched already and you can go check out the atlanta ripper and all the information we have about that over there
2: you can also check us out at beautiful places to die on instagram and BeautifulPlacesToDie.com. to die.com